MNK Talk YA now presents Winter Song Part 1 of the Winter Song Duology by S.J. Jones. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started reading the first book in the Winter Song duology by S.J. Jones. The first book's called Winter Song. And we read up to The Wedding. (laughs) And I was really tempted to read further. (laughs) Well, I actually was kind of mad because we really should have stopped, like, three pages beforehand it was like a division oh. but um, oh yes we didn't know it was like a chap a new section it's titled the goblin queen yeah and actually i was kind of surprised that everything that happened so far like wrapped up already like that we got yeah. kath out i thought there was going to be more of this like finding her sister figuring a way out i thought the game would go on for a lot longer yeah okay so last time we talked we read the um description of this book that was super long and you (laughs) said it it reminded you of a movie yep (laughs) okay and was that movie a labyrinth by any chance it wasn't but then when I was reading about the author I saw all this stuff about how it's like labyrinth so did have you seen labyrinth or do you know much about that movie I saw it like years ago I mean it it came out in the 80s so I I remember seeing it when I was a kid because it's it's by Jim Henson so they have all those weird Muppet creatures in it. Oh, okay. And I remember seeing it, but I have not seen it since. The only thing I know is that David Bowie plays the Goblin King. <laughs> so I, I I read, like, the Wikipedia page of Labyrinth just so I could get a refresher on it. Because I tried to watch it online, and um, they do have a YouTube version, but I had to pay for it, and I was like, no, I'm not paying. It was only, like, $3, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not doing this on principle. <laughs> I was thinking of, so there's this movie that my sister and I were like obsessed with growing up called The Princess and the Goblin. And it was like an animated musical (laughs) thing. And just like, and this is just purely based on reading the back. Now that we've gotten into the story, I don't think there's very much similar. But basically there's like this princess who lives in this castle and she like gets out one day and run, gets like lost in the woods. And there's all these like goblin and goblin creatures in the woods and this like young boy who is just like a commoner boy is singing and he like comes just a peasant he comes across her and like the singing scares away the goblins so they like strike a friendship and then there's all this like weird magic stuff and back and forth and like the only way to defeat the goblins is to sing or step on their feet they have really sensitive feet (laughs) (laughs) these are like the random pieces that are sticking out in my mind and the prince tries to steal the princess underground. So just the music and the princess and having goblins yeah, is what that is similar connected. But otherwise, it's not really following the same <laughs> path at but all. But still, like trying to capture someone and take them underground, and like the idea of music being involved, that is still pretty similar. That's true. I was reading about S. J. Jones, and she said another influence for this piece of work was the Phantom of the Opera. I could see that. 
Yeah, because again, it's like the idea of this alluring monster who lives underground, or in this case, in the opera house, who connects with someone through music and then tries to kind of lure them into their lair and keep them there. Um, But also, like, the idea of the Phantom who was a terrible person, right? Like, he kidnaps... Like, objectively does bad things. Objectively does terrible (laughs) things. Like, kidnaps Christine, tries to blackmail the owners of the opera. He, like, creates mass terrorism when he, like, makes the chandelier crash. Like, he's not a great guy. (laughs) But there's still something really alluring and really seductive about him. And so, like, that kind of push and pull between um, something that's a little fearful but also something that's seductive is... There's... That theme is throughout this entire book, it seems. Yeah. I don't know if I'm super into the whole, like, dark gothic romance thing because I, like, (laughs) am one of the few... Like, I didn't really like Phantom of the Opera even that much. Like, I appreciate it, but it's, like, so many people love it, and I'm kind of like, there are a lot of other musicals I would watch before that. (laughs) Like, I'll pass. I'll be happy with Raul. (laughs) I don't need this guy. Well, see, when I was reading about the author, I was thinking, like, oh my gosh, I would be friends with her, because she was talking about how when she was younger, she was super into, like, that dark gothic um, romance stuff where she was really attracted to, like, strange and disturbing and kind of scary things. Um, and I loved the Phantom of the Opera growing up. I was just like the author where I would like, my cousins and I like had the entire musical memorized and we put on that play every single day for my poor aunt who babysat (laughs) us like every single day. That's impressive actually. Yeah. And I had this book too, this illustrated book that my grandma got me that was, it had these beautiful illustrations throughout the whole thing. It was terrifying it was a really scary book like the pictures were horrifying but I loved it so much it was like one of my favorite books so I read a couple things about her that also reminded me of you because I read that her favorite (laughs) holiday is Halloween yep (laughs) and then I don't know if you did this but for some reason this reminded me of you she talked about how all of her stuffed animals had tragic Victorian orphan (laughs) backstories where their parents were killed by trophy hunters and for some reason that struck me as something that you would do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did have really elaborate backstories for all of my animals, especially my sister's horses. <laughs> and were they mostly tragic or not necessarily? Of course they were. <laughs> I mean, being killed by bounty hunters, was it bounty hunters, did you say? Or killed butchers? by trophy hunters. Trophy. I, so I'm thinking, because they're stuffed animals, so like, you know. Oh my god, that's fantastic. So yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you guys would be friends. Oh my god, Absolutely. <laughs> And she also, I felt bad because she said that Halloween is her favorite holiday because her family made her go to church instead of trick-or-treating as a kid, <laughs> which is like the cruelest thing ever. So she said she's like making up for lost time. I, I can understand that. Yeah. Oh, man. Church, a church just doesn't feel very Halloween-y either, you know? Like, like literally the opposite of it. Yeah, that's probably why they made her go because they were like, the devil is going to take you to his goblin underworld if you trick-or-treat. I don't know. Probably my favorite thing that I read about her that I identified with, she said she collects German compound nouns. <laughs> How do you collect nouns? So, I mean, she just, like, she just, I think, really likes them and... She just likes to look them up. Figuring them out. So, her two favorites at the time of this interview were... I can't even pronounce this. Backpfingfingerschritt. That's not a word. Which means a face that cries out for a fist in it. <laughs> Like someone who needs a good punch in the face? Yep, like their face is just asking for it. And the other one was Sitzfleisch, which is the ability to sit through something boring. 
And I just, I love, like, hearing other countries' words and, like, how they capture these emotions that, like, we don't have a word for. But, like, you're like, yeah, that is a thing. (laughs) That actually is a great sentiment that we don't have a word for. The ability to sit through something boring. I don't have it very well. Oh, no. I mean, I can sit through it, but only because I'm not paying attention because I'm imagining something else yeah. elaborately in my head. Yeah. And I also don't sit still. If I'm bored, like I'll above the table look fine. I'll be like tapping my foot or doing something with my hands or playing with a pen sure. or something like that. And I think she's in a writing group with Marie Lou. Really? Oh my God, I'm so jealous. I know. How do we join? Uh, maybe we can apply. Maybe we can have an audition like Joseph. <laughs> I would I would fail that miserably. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. She also says that she's an adrenaline junkie who jumps out of perfectly good airplanes for fun, and that was the one point where I was like, okay, we do not have that in common because I wouldn't I would never do that. Even if you, even if the reward was being in a writing group with Marie Lou, <laughs> I would never jump out of an airplane. I've done it, but I feel okay about checking that box off and having done it and not needing to do it again. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Didn't you, like, trip your instructor and face-planted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I landed, oh, I, like, he was, like, lift your feet up. And for some reason, I did the opposite of that. And I tripped us both and we face-planted. It's on video oh, no. somewhere. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, I liked also that she incorporated music because she said she studied music as a girl and she's obsessed with Mozart, mm-hmm. which I can totally relate to because my favorite, uh, my favorite opera of all time, and I love opera, is The Marriage of Figaro. And so I really liked that Mozart was her favorite composer. And um, she said the magic flute is her fave, but it's not. It's it's probably my least favorite Mozart opera, actually. Well, she was trying to retell the magic flute. She was trying to, like, Mm -hmm. do her own version of it when she, like, started writing this book, I guess. But I, I saw her, like, describe it in one sentence, like, how she began this book. And she said... In November 2013, I decided to write Fifty Shades of Labyrinth for NaNoWriMo, a.k.a. that, like, November write a novel during the month thing or whatever. Um, The rest is history. So I'm kind of concerned about what's going to happen from now on. like Fifty Shades, like a Fifty Shades of Grey parody? I think so. And I was reading this other thing about how originally this was supposed to be an adult novel, and then she switched it to YA, and she said, (laughs) like, she kept all the sex scenes, but she changed them because you write them differently for a YA audience versus an adult audience. And I'm kind of like, what are we going to get into? (laughs) Some light bondage, (laughs) Fifty Shades style. Oh, I hope this doesn't turn into, like, a bodice ripper. Well, I I read this before I started reading and so far I've been like okay yes there is kind of this idea of you know like the wantonness and the like there's a thrill yeah there's some of this going on but nothing like crazy yet so we'll see how it goes well yeah I mean we already have this like lure of the sexy dangerous man right who's actually a goblin yep and that, you know what that reminded me of a little bit? Remember when we read um, Shadow and Bone and I had like a raging crush on the dark one? Yes, it reminded <laughs> me of that too. I think that's another reason why I thought you'd get along with this author. I was like, <laughs> her hero is right up <laughs> Marissa's alley. And like, so I still liked him up until the moment when he like killed all those poor children at the orphanage. And then I was like, okay, I need to stop. Like, I'm officially breaking up with him. But there was, st- <laughs> there was still something that's like, I don't know. It stokes your fantasy of, like, this alluring but dark kind of guy who you know you shouldn't like. And, like, 
in your mind, realistically. I mean, I'm into the complete opposite. <laughs> I'm into the Captain Thorns of the world. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the, you don't like the bad guys, the bad boys. Well, no, because it's like in real life. I mean, realistically, of course, you would never want to be with someone like that. Yeah, but. There's, I think it's like, you know how there's a fascination with like true crime? Like people have a fascination with like serial killers and crime stories and stuff. Maybe you don't, but. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. But yes. I do. <laughs> I, I feel like it's like that, you know? It's well, like. Well, I do think You there's... want nothing to do with them, but you also can't, like, there's still an attraction. I think there's help. something kind of appealing about like someone who is like really mysterious or doesn't connect with anyone and like the one person they connect with is you and I sort of feel like that's something going on with both the Darkling and the Goblin King it's they sort of feel like so distant but the fact that they're like connecting with the main character is like you feel so special because they connect with so few people almost yeah something like that I don't know that's so true and she also said like she wanted to make the Goblin King human and like she wanted you to kind of root for him a little bit and she said the way she was going to do that was by making him vulnerable Mm -hmm. and making him human and that is like so important when you have a character like that because they need a vulnerability for you to even want to root for them in the first place and I'm so curious because he's got I mean she talks about his eyes mostly and talking about kind of he's got these two modes one where he's really like (laughs) the goblin king of the stories and one where he's really the goblin king of her memory and sort of what's the truth in both of them and how because they seem like such different people yes Um, I'm very curious to get more answers there for how he became who he is now yeah and, and, and we also have moments where like that one scene where she like wakes up naked in bed and then she like demands to be taken to him and then she just ends up in his chamber and then like he's naked in bed too yeah (laughs) there was this like really kind of awkward scene but I think that was her trying to, like, make him human. Yeah. And, and vulnerable. So what do you think about Liesl? Do you like her? No, not really. I know. I don't really either. At least not yet. And I I just feel like she's, like, really kind of... I think also being an oldest sibling and seeing how she kind of acts or treats her siblings is, like, what's really turning me off. But just in general, mm-hmm. I feel like she's kind of complainy and I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. She's... She's just like, um, I'm trying to say this in a nice way. She She's a very honest character, like a very honest and human character. You know, like we all have unattractive qualities, but she's, it's like, she's judgmental, you know? Like she's slut shaming her sister left and right for like wearing clothes that actually <laughs> flatter her. I don't know. She's just, she's jealous that her sister's prettier and that she's marrying Hans and we find out that she actually likes Hans and is jealous of the attention she gets. Well, and then even when she was like, you know, that like phase where her wishes were coming true and she wasn't searching for her sister and like was enjoying life without her and like that was like a weird moment where she was, I don't know, just, yeah, she's kind of like selfish and petty and like, Mm -hmm. but not outwardly mean, which in some ways makes it worse because I feel like she's not even aware, like she's not aware of how bad she is, but I'm hoping that we like her more as this goes on. I think there was, like, a moment that struck me whenever her sister was trying to confide in her, and she was, like, trying to find a way to tell her that she doesn't actually want to marry Hans. She says something, and she's kind of accusing her of, like, always um, favoring Joseph over her and not really caring for her at all. Mm -hmm. And she says something to her, like, you don't need a sister because you have a husband. 
And I was like, that is so messed up to think that, like, your sister doesn't need you just because she's marrying someone. Well, and it was so interesting, too, because, yes, her sister, Kath, when we see her kind of wishes playing out when they're trapped in the goblin underground world. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, it's kind of silly and she wants to be wealthy and all, but she wants it to like protect her, to provide for her family. And she even includes her sister like being successful and her brother being successful in her dreams for the future. Whereas I feel like Liesl's wishes were more like, I want to be like comparative instead of just like, let's all be happy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I, I am hoping that she changes a little bit, although... I'm sort of confused by her decision right before. Um, so, so we've kind of talked about this a little bit. The first half of the book that we've read so far was mostly us being introduced to this, you know, 19th century Germanic town or something, wherever we are. Mm-hmm. And Bavaria. Bavaria. Hearing these stories from her grandmother about this goblin king that she grew up with and believed in as a child. And if she sort of moved past that now, her family's kind of poor, trying to, they all have kind of their own personal struggles. And the goblin king comes and steals her sister away. And she goes and strikes a deal with him, kind of a uh, three rounds of a game, essentially. Mm-hmm. And if she wins two of the rounds, then she'll get her sister back. And that's what, like, the first half of the book is. She goes, she wins round two, ends up in the other ground, wins round three, and helps her sister get out. But then they, like, strike another deal at the end, and I was, like, kind of <laughs> confused by why that happened. Oh, about her being his bride? Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of think that had that tied into, like, the fairy tales that he tells her at the end, where, she, where he talks about this story where years ago the humans and goblins lived together and they were fighting and killing each other and so one man agreed to sacrifice himself to kind of keep the goblins apart from mankind and move them underground mm-hmm. and the, and he was given immortality you know and became so inhuman as a result yeah mm-hmm. and that is so interesting about like as the years went on he kind of forgot what it was to be human even though he's and he's like the keeper of the boundary between the human world and the goblin world Mm -hmm. and so it seems like now there's this legend about how a maiden must enter the eternal the um underground to prevent this internal winter from happening because he's causing the world to die so i feel like that i feel like she agreed to it because it kind of ties into her greatest wish which is to be desired and needed okay i I guess I see that, but I just, part of me would be like, because part of the legend too is that this, whoever his bride is also like loses her humanity or dies or something, right? So I just like, I sort of felt like she didn't think it through. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. Or like even. I agree, I agree. <laughs> even I feel like she could have been like, okay, I see what you're saying. Let me go back with my family. Maybe next winter I'll come marry you. <laughs> Talk this over. <laughs> no, yeah, but I think it was like, I think she just liked the idea of being a sacrifice. Like, she's always so used to sacrificing her own happiness for others. Like, she's a, a grade A martyr, you know? Like, that's all she... I feel like that's what she wants to be. She wants to be, like, the martyr. Yeah. I guess I just didn't even feel like she cared enough about the world being in winter all the time. Like, I sort of felt like the flip side wasn't appealing enough for her, necessarily. Like, they didn't yeah. quite come out and say, if you don't come here... The whole, this is what's going to happen in the world. Like, yes, it was implied by the stories and stuff, but I sort of felt like, I, I don't, I just felt like it wasn't, I don't know. I didn't quite. It wasn't en- enough. Yeah. Because we don't actually see the world dying. We don't see like this eternal winter being forced across the land. We do see Kath 
um, becoming ill yeah. when she's living underground. And I feel like that would have been more of a impetus for her to make that decision, you know. Yeah, I got I think when, they, when sister, they first made the bet and I thought she was going to trade her life for her sister's life, that made sense to me. Yes. But when they were like three steps from <laughs> being free completely and this guy has been like messing with her the whole time and he tells her some story, I didn't really understand why she was just like, okay, if you tell me you want me, I'll stay. <laughs> I know. I th- I totally agree with you. I think it was just she finally felt wanted. Yeah. Even and, and that's just horrific, right? Like this horrible man wants you and yeah. so you agree to it because you feel so lonely and so undesired. Like that's so sad. And I do get that like it wasn't like she was rushing home for anything or in particular, yeah. but cuz I think like at that point too she felt like she didn't really have much to live for cuz like Joseph was gone, her sister was safe, and she kind of was always living in her sibling's shadow. And so her, the life she was going back to was, like, being a kitchen maid at her inn. Yeah. She didn't really have much to hope for, even. Yeah, but you'd still think that would be better than being, like, <laughs> a bride to an otherworldly monster. Or, again, you still think you, like, think it through more than, like, he didn't even really beg her anything. I mean, like, I, I really felt like she was, like, three steps away, and then she was like, hey, okay, I'm about to leave. Are you sure you don't want to make me stay? And he's like will that work? And she's like, yeah, just say you love me. And he was like, okay, I love you. (laughs) Yeah. It reminded me of Beauty Beauty and the Beast, though, too, a little bit. That's true. And like, yes, I know she like stays so that her father can go free, which is definitely a better reason. But it's kind of the same thing where like she has this life that she's unsatisfied with and is like dreaming of adventure. And then she gets it. She gets more than she bargained for. (laughs) Yeah. And then, I, mean, I don't know, maybe some Stockholm Syndrome comes into play eventually. Well, and I'm just curious to see how, if they, like, form a real relationship, if it's always these games, if there is a way out, like, just all kinds of stuff. If she's dying or not, you know. That's the one thing that would be so awful, being in the goblin realm, is just, like, not knowing what's glamoured and what's real. Yeah. Like, when she goes to that ball and... She's the eyeballs um, which, and the beetles. Yeah, the treats yeah. are eyeballs and like everything is not what it seems and the peaches are rotten. And and that really reminded me of Labyrinth that there's like a ballroom scene in Labyrinth where like she's in this beautiful gown. Jennifer Connelly's like in this beautiful gown and she's like all the people are wearing masks and it's like a really kind of elaborate scene but it's all fake. And I think, I don't know, I just don't know if I could live with someone like that and not not knowing if something was real or if it was imaginary. And like she just went through this horrific experience trying to get out of there. She almost buried herself alive. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just I'm curious to see how it plays out because I, I sort of feel like she made a snap decision and I wish that she had thought it through more, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, one thing I did look up was myths and legends around the changing oh, seasons. Oh, like um, Sauron or whatever that's called? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. It's like um, what Halloween derived from, this, like the Celtic um, pagan holiday. Oh, well, I didn't look up that one. Oh. <laughs> but sure, something like that. I mean, one of the <laughs> well, big ones is like the story of Persephone and stuff and how, you know, when she's in the oh. underworld, that's when we have winter and when she, because her, um, what's her name? Her mother? Yeah. But what's De- Demeter? No. Her mother is Demeter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
is so sad while she's gone, and then when she's back, she's there for half the year, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows that story, right? I just... But also, because she eats the pomegranate, which is kind of interesting, because her sister, Kath, eats that peach. Yeah. Which is kind of like the idea of forbidden fruit. And in Labyrinth, <laughs> David Bowie tries to give her a drugged peach, too. So there are, there's definitely some Labyrinth. I kind of want to see the movie now, but I don't want to pay $3 either. It's bizarre. <laughs> Honestly, it's like... But her her baby brother is what who goes missing in the um, movie, and his name's Toby, like your puppy. Aww, I know. I know you would go to the Goblin Underworld to rescue Toby. Depends on the day. <laughs> Just kidding. Depends Toby. on how many books he's eaten that day. <laughs> he ate my phone charger last night. Oh my god, <laughs> that's the third one he's eaten. I don't know what he has against me charging no. my phone. Maybe he's tired of me taking all those pictures of him. Oh gosh. Okay, well, tell me what you learned about... Okay, um... so here is a Cherokee legend for why trees lose their leaves. Oh, okay. So it used to be back in the day, all the animals and plants were all (laughs) friends, and they talked to each other like humans still do. Um, And everyone got along and whatnot, and birds would still fly south in the winter to stay warm. But there was this one year, and Sparrow hurt himself. He wasn't able to fly. So he sent his family down south, and he started to look for somewhere to stay the winter um and he came to oak the tree and he asked for some help but oak was like i don't really want someone living in my branches all winter so then he went and asked maple and a few more trees and they all were telling him the same thing so finally he asked pine and pine Mm. was kind of like bottom of the tree totem pole he like wasn't very popular because his leaves were so sharp but he said sparrow was welcome to stay there and sparrow was really really thankful obviously, because he needed somewhere to stay. So after winter passed, Sparrow survived and healed up and whatnot. His family came home. Everything was great. And the creator had watched all of this, and he called a meeting. And basically, because so many of the trees had rejected Sparrow in his time of need, he cursed all their leaves to wither away in winter, except for pine. So even though pine didn't have very much to give because he gave it he was allowed to keep his leaves no matter what season oh my god i love that that's such a good fable isn't that one cool yeah that was one of my favorites i also read um this is a hopi origin story for spring about the blue corn maiden Mm. so i guess there's like a group of beautiful women who brought corn to the lands who were called the corn maidens and the most beautiful and beloved was the blue corn maiden and she brought the blue corn that and they had it throughout the year And she was just like, sounds like a great woman all around. (laughs) But one day during winter, she went to gather firewood to warm her home. And she came across the winter Katsina. So Katsinas were supernatural personifications of different real world concepts. So this is the one who brought winter to earth. And the winter Katsina saw the blue corn maiden, fell in love with her and invited her to his home. And she couldn't say no, so he ended up blocking her into his home, like blocked all the doors and windows with snow. Ooh. So then one day, Winter Katsina was away, and the blue corn maiden dug her way out and found stuff to light a fire. And when the fire was lit, the snow melted, and the summer Katsina arrived to save her. But Winter Katsina was really angry, and he arrived to fight Summer Katsina, and they were, they were going to fight over her. But then they decided just to talk it through, I guess. <laughs> And so they struck a deal that one half of the year, the blue corn maiden would live with winter Katsina. And during this time of year, the people don't have corn. And then the second half of the year, he'll live with, or she would live with summer Katsina and the corn would grow again. So Did she get a say in any of this? Uh, it's not 
clear. It doesn't really sound like it since she tried to escape Winter Katsina's house that she would have been like, yeah. oh, I'll stay for six months. That's all? No. But um, I guess... Is that where we get... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. They said that... So, like, the blue corn arriving is a sign of springtime, but they also said if there's, like, those days in March where it's kind of been, like, spring and then all of a sudden you have another snowstorm, that's when mm-hmm. Winter Katsina is basically throwing a fit about how blue corn maiden left him. Oh. We just had that in Chicago. We just had, like, a big snowstorm. Oh, man. We... It feels like summer here already. It was, like, hot and humid today. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and then... Jealous. So I read this other legend... Hold on, hold on, wait, I have a question. Oh, go, go, yeah. Is this the Blue Corn Maiden? Is that where we get the Blue Corn Moon from? Like in Pocahontas? I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen Pocahontas. Oh my god! When she goes, the what's it called? Colors of the Wind. Hey, with all the colors of the wind. Yeah! I know that Wolf song. cries to the Blue Corn Moon. Oh yeah. Probably. Probably related it. somehow. I mean, it's it seems like Blue Corn was important, so there's probably a moon <laughs> and a maiden. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend like that's where it came from. <laughs> I like it. So this is I don't even know where this myth originated from. So it could just be some random guy on the internet wrote this, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> and we're gonna believe it. <laughs> so this is some legend of the four seasons. It's from Myths and Legends. That's the name of the website. So okay. a long, long time ago, like before everything that we know, there were four gods and they were all brothers and they were sons of the creator. So they were each like a little bit different. And their names were Summer, Spring, Fall, and Winter. <laughs> what oh <that>? boy. <laughs> so Spring was the youngest and he just like was really kind of a lively guy. The next one was Summer and he was really fierce. He had a bright red body and just like brought heat everywhere that he went. He was Ooh. like fire. Um, fall was really calm and he would always like kind of soothe everybody just like kind of peaceful and then winter was sort of cold-blooded and just like spiky and spoke of death and whatnot (laughs) i'd totally be winter so they were there's only one planet and there's four brothers and they each wanted to rule it so they couldn't figure out what to do and their father was like how about you each rule the world for 12 months at a time (laughs) so for 12 months they each got to rule the world and the first first summer went because he was the biggest of the four brothers and when he was walking around the planet, he was accidentally heating things up so much that soon the whole world was a ball of fire. Oh, wow. Everything was red and animals and plants were being cooked and all this stuff. Way to go, you idiot. And the next was Autumn. And for his 12 months, he just kind of put the earth to rest. Everything was reviving. The world kind of went to sleep and kind of started to heal. You know, they were, everyone mm-hmm. was just kind of calm, ready, period. Then winter came. And it was his 12 months to rule. And he, kind of similar to Summer, but in the opposite direction, started kind of transforming the whole world into this giant ice ball. And all these animals were, like, freezing. And there was no water available. And they were just waiting for winter to end. And then spring came in, and he's, like, the lively, fun guy. And he tried his best to, like, melt the ice and make everyone happy again. You know, get flowers blooming and all that stuff. Um, But I guess the four gods then got into a huge argument because they didn't want to wait three years in between time to rule so they eventually decided to split the 12 months into four parts and each brother could get his share for the year his fair share i mean that's the way you do it that's smart that's like when when we were kids my dad would always if we had something we wanted to split he would say one of you can split it but the other person gets to pick first yeah so then you're incentivized to split it fairly right right we used to do that too (laughs) oh those are cool stories though 
I mean, it was just fun to read. I love, like, different legends and myths and stuff. And it kind of yeah. brings me back to our original podcast, fairy tale origin stories and stuff to get yeah. to get to something like that. But I thought you were going to talk about, um, like, the origin of Halloween because they have that bit in the beginning where they're talking about the day the old year dies. Oh, yeah. Which is, like, the last night of autumn, which essentially is Halloween. And it's, like, when the barrier between worlds become thin. And creatures from the underground can slip into the um, human world. And that's just, like, the entire legend of Halloween. Like, the pagan belief in the, like, thinning of worlds. And, and that's why, like, we dress up in scary costumes and celebrate Halloween. Because it was meant, it was like a day when people thought the underworld could creep into the human world. That just reminds me of Halloween Town. Did you watch that movie on Disney? I'm sure I must have. Oh, that was one of my favorites. But it was like Halloween was the one day a year. Like this girl was actually a descendant of witches and she didn't know it. And her grandma oh, yes. only ever visited on Halloween. And then there was yes, like this yes, other yes. world that they could get to on Halloween called Halloween Town. And it was like Halloween mm-hmm. every day. You would have loved it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I also did a little bit of research when you were talking about like the fairy tale stuff. I just researched goblins a little bit. Okay. I thought you might tell me more. Okay, so this is kind of funny. So I guess the word for a female goblin is a goblet. Huh. That sounds like something yeah. you would eat, drink out of. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter and the goblet. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, in Harry Potter, there is a reference to goblins. So, or, well, kind of. They're like, um, so you know how they call him Der Elkonig? Yep. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. So in Harry Potter, there's a species of elvish creatures called the Erklings, and um, they lure children. Very fitting. And they're and it's kind of like yeah. Okay, so I guess goblins, like the idea of goblins, was first introduced into liter- into German literature by Johann Gottfried von Herder in 1778. Okay. And he wrote stories about kind of these creatures that were more like elves. But in one version, their elven king's daughter is the one who ensnares human men to, like, satisfy her lust. How are um, they related to, like, fairies? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, the fae in, like, that kind of world is a whole different thing, I okay. think. Okay, okay. So there's something about them. But it seems like they're similar. Yeah. But I liked that in that version, there was, like, a gender reversal. So instead of, like, a goblin king trying to lure maidens, it was, like, this king's daughter who was hunting for men. Yep. That'll teach <laughs> men to go off with strange women. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so in the story, this man named Sir Olaf was riding to his marriage ceremony, and along the way he was entranced by the music of the elves, and an elf maiden, who was the elf king's daughter, invites him to dance and tries to give him gold and gifts to kind of tempt him, and he refuses her, And so she um, curses him, and he rides off, and then on the day of the wedding, his bride finds him dead under his cloak. That's scary. Good for him, though, for at least turning her down on the way to his wedding. But then what is the right thing to do? If you turn her down, you die, and if you go with her, you... You cheat on your bride. Yeah. Can't win for trying. That's what you call (laughs) a no-win scenario. Um, In other legends... There is a female character protagonist who encounters a male elf or goblin. And in a lot of cases, she's kind of torn because she's aware that he probably means her harm. But she's also desires him. That's very fitting with this story. Yeah. 
And so it's like, I don't know, I guess it's the idea where like being outside of your safety zone is alert is kind of alluring. Um, but then you're caught between this thing where you're you desire the person who took you, but you also desire your freedom. Mm-hmm. So it's like this again, this like push and pull. And that's all I did. That's all the research I did. Well, I was gonna look up something about <laughs> Stockholm syndrome, but I figured that might be appropriate for the second half of the book. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, that's not okay. So I also researched um, <laughs> musicians a little bit. Oh, okay. Like Vivaldi. Yeah, like, and, like, other Baroque composers a little bit, just because that's so prominent. And I I thought it was interesting, her brother Joseph, how he's um, trying to get apprentice to, um, like, a music teacher so that he can become a court musician. Mm-hmm. I I even like how the book is divided. Like, the parts are, uh, yeah. like, a, a sonata or whatever. It's, it's a score. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a music score. There's, like, the first part was overture, and then there's intermezzo. Yep. I, I really liked that. I wish I kind of wish there was like music to listen to while. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Like I need we need to find a soundtrack for reading because I I'm not musical enough to like really when they're talking about it like imagine it appropriately. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I I don't know music well enough that when they're like talking about these composers or even like types of music that I can sort of picture it. But I feel like that would like add another layer to everything. Well, I think that's why I like it so much because I like grew up being very very involved in music it was like all I did pretty much through college I didn't know that and so yeah I yeah I started oh gosh I think I was like three or four when I started playing piano and then I played flute like all through middle school and high school and um I played my college orchestra that's so cool yeah I was like really really into it and we did all kinds of like music competitions and I was the drum major (laughs) of my high school marching band I really, I don't have musical ability, but I really want to start a band. Okay. Called Photoelectric Effect. So can I just name the <laughs> band and stand in pictures and you can do all the music And I'll just stuff? play all the instruments. Yes. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, that sounds, uh, yeah, I think that'll go over really well. <laughs> I'm just imagining me with like, wasn't it like Mary Poppins when the guy has like the drum that plays all the, in like. It has like a horn and then it has oh, all yeah. these components to it. Yeah, I'm imagining that's what I'm like. <laughs> no, but like uh, music is like very, very important to me and it was really important to me growing up and it was like a huge part of my identity. So I really liked that we got um, a lot of um, references, references yeah. to music. Yeah. Well, I definitely liked it. I just, I felt like I, I wasn't quite, it was, there was so much where I felt like I needed musical knowledge. And I actually, I played piano for 12 years, so I don't like not know anything, oh, but but I still felt like there were things where I was like, what does that really mean? Or like, I just, it was almost too musically technical for me to get enough out of it. And I sort of just wish I had a little bit more to go off of there. Yeah. Even just like, listen, like referencing songs and then I should have like gone and listened to them or something just to get it in my head. Well, did you read um, Playlist for the Dead? Yeah. Oh, see, that's what I was thinking of when you were like, I wish they had songs that we could listen along to. Because I loved reading that book because they had that list of songs. And I listened to the song and then read the chapter. And it was, it was like an, a reading experience that I'd never had before. Yeah. And it was so, it was so unique and so cool. That was a really cool experience. Yeah, that that's exactly what I'm talking about, though. 
And, like, some of the songs I had never even heard before. Yeah, and then just knowing, like, reading along and then thinking back to the song while you were reading. Like, it, it was just, like, a cool way to blend the two. That, that was a really cool reading experience. Yeah, because it tied into the chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I was <laughs> when I was reading about Joseph and how he was, like, auditioning for that master Antonius or whatever. Uh-huh. I, have you ever seen the film The Red Violin? No. Okay. So it reminded me of that because there's this scene, and like I guess it was pretty common back then if you if you were had some musical ability, you would have these auditions where you would audition for different teachers and they would kind of take you under their wing. If you were like if you were good enough and you passed these trials, you could become a court musician. But in the like during the Baroque period, I guess musicians were treated like servants to the aristocracy. And so they were kind of expected to like cater to every whim and um, they didn't have a lot of personal rights. You know, it'd be so funny what? to have like a big time musician now who's like worshipped basically thrown yeah, back in time to that era <laughs> and have like a Baroque musician like put, like have them print some popper switch and anyways, continue. <laughs> we would have to like summon her to our dinner parties where she would have to entertain us for hours on end. Yeah. That sounds great, actually. (laughs) Okay, but in the red violin, there's this part where this little boy has to audition, and he plays his violin. And the the movie's about, like, this one violin that passes from hand to hand, and it, like, goes through a lot of different owners, and it's, like, the life of this violin. And the one scene, the little boy goes to, like, do his audition, and he gets up to play, and he has a heart attack, and he dies. Oh, my goodness. Like, in the middle of his audition. And so I was, like reading this scene with Joseph and I was just like oh my god please don't die like please don't have a heart attack when you're playing for this guy oh man (laughs) that would have been just what we needed Liesl would have been like oh good I don't have to worry about him anymore (laughs) she's such a little brat she'd be like actually I compose why don't you let me play (laughs) I'm just kidding she's not that bad she does love her brother but I'm kind of curious if we're gonna see like the way I'm imagining the story takes place from now on is it's all underground, but I feel like there was enough kind of background on, like, her family and stuff. I'm kind of curious if we see Joseph now that he's been apprenticed out and, you know, what happens with him and Francois, whoever the piano player oh, yeah. was that he was enamored with. <laughs> Did anyone have a problem besides me that they were essentially, like, giving their son to, like, a child molester? Uh, yeah. That was, like... I was just like, why is nobody saying anything? Like, this is clearly not appropriate behavior between teacher and student. Like, are you... I don't know. That was weird. The The parents were just kind of weird in general. Like, I didn't really think they were very good at being parents. <laughs> no! The dad was, like, gone and drunk half the time. And the mom was just like, oh, yeah, this... This musician seems And nice. even the grandma, I don't know, it had like, I felt like the whole, I sort of felt like I was in like a haze with Liesl throughout the first part of the book. Like j- the way the story was told and I liked it because I felt like it was appropriate for the story we were reading. But it's, I sort of was like, is this real? Like, is this, is that all they're going to say? Or is that, you know, really their reaction? Or I don't know. That's just a like, good way to describe it as being in a haze. Mm-hmm. Like, that almost felt less real to me than her underground. Yeah, because you were just like, how is everyone okay with this? Mm-hmm. But I think that actually reminded me just now of that line that the Goblin King says, where he says, some people prefer a pretty lie to an ugly truth. Mm-hmm. And so in that line, that idea behind that line is throughout the entire book. And, and like, especially with Joseph, when they were like, oh, this is going to be so great because he's going to be apprenticed to this really great master musician and he's going to tour the world and be this prodigy 
But then it was like, okay, that's a maybe a pretty lie. Yeah. Like, what is the ugly truth behind that? Yeah. That no one wants to see. And then, yeah. Yeah. And she's the only one who caught on to it when she was like, I'm wondering what kind of man this is. But she didn't even say anything one. or do anything. She just I like know. let it happen. But she also is like, but she's the one who's like not, she doesn't see the glamour. You know, she's the one who prefers the ugly truth. Yeah. Whereas I think the rest of her family, it's implied, um, prefers the pretty lie. Mm-hmm. Although they weren't given a choice. That's true. Like it's kind of crazy to think whatever situation that was where her whole family forgot her sister existed. Oh, yeah. Like, that was that kind of freaked me out. <laughs> well, he put a spell on them where he, like, took their memories away. Yeah. But, like, to a whole, like, everything about a person, like, it's just, it still freaked me out. Like, this is another reason why I wouldn't go live underground for the rest of my days with this Goblin <laughs> King. I'd be like, okay, let me, if you really want to court me, then court me. Don't, like, manipulate and kidnap my sister and steal my family's memories and stuff. Or, like, force me to sacrifice the thing that I care most about. Yeah. You know, I hated that when he was like, you have to sacrifice your music. Or she came to that conclusion and she, like, burned all her compositions. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but that is the definition of an abusive relationship right there. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. A lot. You can be with me, but you have to give up everything you love. And it's not even, like, because I want to be with you. It's, like, it's such a twisted path to even get there. Yeah. Um. Ugh. I, I I am curious, though, like what you said earlier about him seeing her as a child and like how they used to play together and gamble together. Because mm-hmm. that part was confusing to me because I was like, okay, did that really happen? Or was this all in her imagination? Was it something she just daydreamed because her grandmother told her these stories? Like it, that was hard for me to realize, to understand what was reality and what was fake. Yeah, and part of me wonders, because so much of her interaction with him, even, like, stuff that happened a week ago or a month ago or however long this book took place, like, you know, she forgot about stuff from earlier in the day after she interacted with the Goblin King. So I can imagine that even if it was real, it had, like, sort of a fake quality to it. And as she rejected her grandmother's stories, she was able to say, oh, I was just imagining her, oh, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm kind of confused if he was, like, just yeah I, I don't know we have questions we have questions <laughs> we always have questions but we really have questions and I kind of liked her sister I hope that she, I hope that her whole family isn't like not in the rest of the book but I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't I hope they come back because other, I mean like I'm interested in what happens to Kath and and Hans even though Hans is just is like a complete killjoy I like don't really get him was he because even before the whole like I get when everyone forgot about Kath that that was, like, fake where he was into Liesl. But didn't he also right. say something to her in the kitchen before all that happened? I was kind of confused yeah, by that. Yeah, I think, I kind of feel like she always had a crush on him, and it was just, not. and it wasn't even that it was unrequited, it was just always understood that he was going to marry her sister. But it did seem like he kind of acknowledged that they had a bond, too. Okay. But even that seemed weird. If he if they had crushes on each other and the sister never liked him and, the, and Liesl's older, like, I don't even get, but whatever. Whatever. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. But was it was it him who was the one who was um he she like kisses him or something and that's when she like breaks he, the spell or not that time. Yeah, but it was like he, she kisses him cuz he or he kisses her and then she returns the kiss and then he accuses her of being unchaste. And oh yeah. Forward. He's like, "Oh, you're not like the other girls, the kind you don't marry." Yeah. And was that that was him? That was him. Yeah. 
I, I was glad when she slapped him. Yeah, I was too. That was a weird exchange because I also couldn't tell if that was like, yes, it was him, but it was like the enchanted him. So was that really what he was like? Or was that like some weird version of, version I'm not of supposed him. to be kissing you, even though I feel like I'm supposed to be kissing you or, you know, like some, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I actually thought <sighs> Kath like became more interesting near the end. So I do want to see what happens for her. Yes, I agree. And I feel like, I, I honestly felt really bad for Kath. Yeah, I did too. Because I feel like she does have good intentions and everyone just judges her. Yeah. And, and that's so not fair. Yeah, I feel like she's trying to do the right thing for her family and no one's even giving her credit for that. And yeah, she does find joy in some things, but that's not a bad thing to like find joy in the small things that you can actually yeah. enjoy. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean that that's all you care about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, okay. I really want to read the wedding scene. Okay. And then you can go read it, it in too. two minutes. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. And then, oh, okay. One quick thing mm-hmm. that I found that was cool too. So when I was learning about um, Mozart, I was also reading about, I was reading like a, an interview today by um, SJ Jones and she was talking about how the writing process is like, can be a really lonely endeavor and how it takes a lot of rework and written, you know, editing. Mm-hmm. And she said she was kind of fascinated with the idea of how um, some of the composers like Mozart, who were child prodigies, they have this romantic idea associated with them that they kind of just conjured up these perfect pieces that were just perfectly composed from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it kind of belies how much work actually goes into them. And I learned that his Mozart's wife, she when he died, she went through and destroyed all of his um, rough drafts and like edits and um, like his failed first attempts because she wanted to preserve this idea that his music just kind of sprung up out of nowhere. Like there was this muse that inspired him, and he just wrote these perfect pieces. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I know, and I think so many people do have this idea of him being this composer that just generated opera after opera and all these compositions without effort because you know he started composing when he was five Mm -hmm. but what's a more honest answer is that he he did have to work hard at it you know there's going to be rough drafts there's going to be edits and there's a lot of work that goes into it and so I liked that she was comparing it to writing and being like you know this is a hard thing it's not like someone writes one draft and it's perfect you know, not even Mozart could do that. But there is this idea, this very romantic idea of like having a muse that inspires you and you write this perfect thing the first time. I think that's why some people get discouraged because they don't realize how much work sure. does go into it. Like, yes, I think you have to have some talent and skill or, you know, like an idea or something to start with. Obviously, like it's not like everyone, if they just work hard enough, can accomplish these things. But I think so many people don't realize how much work it takes before you get somewhere. Even like, you know, you hear those things about J.K. Rowling and how many publishing houses like turned her down. And that's after she'd already written it before Harry mm-hmm. Potter got picked up. And now look at her and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, like you have to really believe in yourself and you have to really work to perfect it and recognize when it isn't right. Like part of having a good yeah. ear, part of having a good story is knowing when it needs the work instead of just saying, well, I put words down or I put some notes down, like done. Yes. I mean, and that's the hard part. Like, yeah. Anyone can just write a quick draft of something. Yeah. But to craft it and make it good, I mean, yeah, it requires a lot of effort. Yep. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That is, that's interesting. Okay, let's keep reading. Okay. And get to the, yep. all the 
I'm just nervous about how if it's going to turn into Fifty Shades. I know, of I am too. But it is a YA <laughs> novel, so it's going to be. Oh, I also I really like this Olin Twig so far. I hope that we see a lot more of them. Oh yes, I like them a lot too. They, their names kind of re- reminded me of um because I'm reading Iron Gold right now, the uh-huh. sequel to Red Rising. And Don't tell James. Just kidding. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and I was just reading about the Howlers again, and there's like Pebble and. Oh yeah. I don't know, all of their thistle and all of their names and the um, two goblin girls were kind of reminding me of that. <laughs> and they call, didn't they call um, Severo a, the goblin too? Or a, a goblin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all tied together. Okay, let's go finish book one and okay. then talk again. But first, tell me a joke. Oh, I have to tell you a joke. Okay, so I have a bunch of music jokes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> some, of them, all right, some, some of them are really mean. Oh, First of all, I won't say any of the mean okay. ones, but I was reading them and I was just like, oh my gosh. Mean gosh, to the you tell- person you're talking to? the musician. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I don't know. I didn't like that. Okay. What happens when you play Beethoven backwards? I don't know. <laughs> he decomposes. <laughs> These are so bad. Oh my God. Okay, this is awful, but I'm going to tell anyway. What do you get when you drop a piano on an army base? What? A flat major. <laughs> oh, man. I um, I used to write on little... You know how people used to pass notes and stuff in, like, middle school and high school? Mm-hmm. I used to tell people, I wrote you a note, and I just hand them a piece of paper with a B flat on it. <laughs> I was so weird. <laughs> B flat? I don't know why that was the note I always picked, but it was. That's really funny. <laughs> oh. Um... Okay. <laughs> Why did Mozart kill his chickens? Why? Because they re- always ran around going, bok, 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 bok. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. I can't even tell how it's true. Okay. All right, last one. I should save some of these. We have like two more or four more, whatever. We have, we have more. more. <laughs> we have three more episodes. Okay. Why? Why are pirates great singers? Why? <laughs> they can hit the high seas. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good pirate joke. Okay, that those last two are my two favorites. That was awesome. All right, a flurry of music jokes for you. I want to hear one of the mean ones next time. No, they're all about like guitar players and how they're not smart, and I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> okay, we'll keep those to ourselves. <laughs> In the meantime, everyone, please. Um, if I mean, if you feel like it, write us a review on iTunes. Um, it helps us get more listeners. And you could also write us a message at mnktalkya at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram at mnktalkya. And we're also on Facebook. I'm just laughing because I remembered I wrote, Nathan, <laughs> I wrote on Nathan Chen's Instagram page today. You wrote on whose? Because Nathan Chen's Instagram page because I'm like obsessed with the Olympics and I had an emotional weekend watching <laughs> the men's figure skating and I was writing on his Facebook wall and then I realized I was doing it from our from our M and K top wire <laughs> account instead of my personal account. So Nathan Chen got a very supportive message from us. That's hilarious. <laughs> and well, I guess it'll be a while after this, but right now we're currently featured as a spotlight on Discover Pods. 
So if you want to hear more about us, there's an interview you can go read on Discover Pods. Yes, that was so much fun doing that interview with um, Kevin. He was great. And it ends with a dad joke, so you guys should go read it all. It sure does. (laughs) Yeah, so go check out our interview on Discover Pods, and we will talk to you later. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.